All right, good morning. It's good to see a lot of people here this morning. Good to see all of you, especially our visitors. We're glad you're here. Isaac and I are... Oh, boy. Sorry, sound tech. I'm just going to keep the mic off. All right. As I was saying, Isaac and I are glad to be here. Um, If you noticed, I'm sure most of you are aware, my wife and our daughters all went to Boston to visit Jenna. Um, So they're having a great time, and we're so glad. I'm so glad they got to go, um, though we do miss them at home. I'm not a good bachelor. I... The simplest meal you can come up with, that's, that's what I'll live with. I told, told someone before church, I'm sure glad we have a meal here afterwards because I'll get a one good meal while they're gone. No, that's not true. Neoma got food ready for us and everything, so we're, we're doing good, but we do miss them. Um, so this morning, I want to ask you guys, how many of you, have you ever had that experience, like let's say during a hot summer day, um, or maybe when you get up in front of people and suddenly your mouth just goes is totally dry. Um, but during the, during the summer when you're exerting your body physically and you get really thirsty and you know how your mouth gets totally dry, you can hardly talk, your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and you just about give anything for something to drink. It's called thirst, right? We all get thirsty. I don't know if you've ever experienced extreme, extreme thirst I know I don't think I have, but in those moments, it it reveals that we long for something. We deeply desire something, and we desperately need something. And usually, water is that go-to. That's what you need to quench your thirst. Some of you would say a cold can of Mountain Dew. I'm looking at a couple from our life group that I know would cherish that Some. I'm going to pick on Etta. She's so much fun to pick on. She just, she's insists that there's nothing that quenches a thirst like a cold Mountain Dew. So, huh? Not Coke. Not Coke. <laughs> anyway, so Mountain Dew, water, whatever it may be. We all experience those times when we get really, really thirsty. Um, I read a story um, of a, three, three ladies that visited Death Valley you guys know where that's at out in California, um, the south, southeast corner of California, somewhere there? 3,000 square foot mile of desert. It's known to be the hottest and driest place in North America. Um, and I just, last Sunday, or Wednesday night, I think I was talking to Mike Slaybaugh, there's a, like an ultra running race something that goes through Death Valley, and Mike is gunning for that. He wants to run that thing. That's just like bonkers. Um, but anyway, this, there's, these, there's three people. There's a, an older lady. Her name was Donna Cooper, I believe, and her daughter and a, another young lady that was living with them at the time. They were locals. They lived right there. They'd been through Death Valley many, many, many times before. But on this day, it was in day in July. It was back in 2010. They had set out. There was a certain, there was like a Spanish, old Spanish-style mansion from the early 1900s that they had never seen, that was, that's in Death Valley that they wanted to go visit. And so they had planned their trip, and they decided that's where they're going to head. They're going to go to visit this place. So they set off in the morning, and they got there. They reached their destination about 1 o'clock. They spent a couple of hours there. And then by mid-afternoon, they decided it's time to head home. 
But on their way back, they saw a sign for another kind of a, a tourist spot, an interesting place to see. It's called the racetrack. Um, I've, not, I've not actually, I didn't do a whole lot of research on it, but it's just another, it's a different place. It's on a, on a flat level place where boulders actually shift and kind of create skid marks. So they're like, hey, we're this close. Let's go check this place all out. And so they turned off of the main road and they turned on a little dirt track. And you can probably see where this story is going. They turned on this little dirt track and they drove for 10 miles, came to an intersection, and they weren't sure which way they were supposed to turn, so they made, I think it was a left-hand turn, and went another like 10 miles or so, and suddenly they realized, you know what, something's not right. And so they turned around and they tried to backtrack, but they were unable to figure out how to get back to where they were, so they dug out the map that they had with them of the park, but that map only had like the main roads on it. And so they went with their GPS. And so the GPS started telling him, go 500 feet, turn left here on these, all these little, just little dirt tracks. And essentially it just led them, they just kept going in circles and circles. Finally, by late afternoon, they had four water bottles, four 16-ounce water bottles. By late afternoon, they had one of those left. The car was down to a quarter tank of gas, and they had no idea where they were. They were completely lost, and it was 125 degrees outside. Not a place where you want to be with just 16 ounces of water. And story goes on, they kept trying to find their way out, and they, finally they hit a road that looked like a little bit more of a main track. And they started going, and they passed a place that looked like it could have been in like an old deserted um, building with old deserted buildings or something. They thought maybe they should stop there, but they were, they were like, hey, we're on a good road, let's keep going. Ended up, it led them to the top of a, almost like a cliff. Their GPS took them there and they had nowhere to go. And by this point, the car was on empty. And they had gone 20 miles since they had last seen that place. And so it was dark. It was dark now. The car was on empty. They ate the little bit of food they had left and they finished off their water and they decided they had to spend the night. So they spent the night there and the next morning... They were like, well, they have to try to get somewhere. So they tried to start the car, and miraculously, it started. It was on empty, but it started. And they turned around, and they backtracked down to the place where they thought they'd seen these abandoned buildings. But by this point, they had been completely out of water since the evening before. They were absolutely parched. And if you know anything about... well. It, Anytime, to have water is to have life. If you don't have water, what happens when your body begins to shut down? Dehydration sets in, and if you don't meet that need for thirst, eventually death is going to come. And they were at that place, such a critical place. They came back to this place with a couple abandoned old trailers, and amazingly enough, around behind the back of one of the trailers, there was a hose with a tap. And they turned the water on and they got some water, but it was hot, but it was still some water. And it saved their lives. They ended up staying at that place for, I think it was two days, until a rescue helicopter found them and brought them to safety. But in their stay there, they had a place where they had water. And so they knew that they, knew that they could survive if you have water. Um, but during the, during the days and even during the nights, it was so hot 
they'd take mattresses out on the porch, but the heat from the desert floor was so hot they could lay down for about 15 minutes and they'd have to get up and douse themselves with water just to be able to bear the heat. From, that's the conditions they were in, and they had been out of water, but they found water, enough water to save their lives. And you get into a place like that, the only thing, the thing you most desperately need for survival is water. Something to quench the thirst that you have. Now, a long story, but thirst is an indicator. If you feel thirst, that's an indicator that you're alive, for one, but it's also an indicator that you need something. So we need to listen. I'm talking metaphorically here. If we need to listen when our, when our physical bodies tell us we need water or we're thirsty, or our spiritual beings tell us that we're thirsty, then we need to pay attention and we need to listen to that. What's it telling us? Scripture, there's so many scriptures that talk about thirst. And you can just, there's loads of them. I'm going to show you two of them. And then we'll get into our main text. Psalm 42 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 43, 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And Jesus himself talked about thirst. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Two realities about thirst. One is that we're all thirsty. We all get thirsty. And the second reality is We all have a choice with how we're going to go about to quench that thirst. And that's what I want to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 55. I'm going to look at two passages out of the Old Testament. I'm going to start in Isaiah 55, and then we'll come back to Isaiah 55 and end there as well. But I want to start there and look at, um, I don't know, what I consider from Scripture to be one of the greatest invitations in all of Scripture such a beautiful picture that God paints for us. Isaiah 55 says this. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Why do you spend your money? This is the verse that I want you to pay attention to for now. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. So I said the two realities of being of thirst are that we are all thirsty. And so here God gives us this beautiful invitation for those of us who are thirsty, which is all of us, if we're aware of that. So how are we going to go about to quench that thirst? I want to start with that. And looking at verse 2 is, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not, does not satisfy? What's the money, the currency that he's talking about? Because he says in verse 1 that you can buy without money, without price. So what's the currency? I think he's talking simply about our own efforts, our own energies that we pour into our, into our life to try to quench the deepest longings of our hearts, that thirst that's, that's deep down within us. 
So you can keep your fingers there, and I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. We're primarily going to focus on verse 13. Um, this is Jeremiah, as you know. Jeremiah is a, known as the weeping prophet, so his writing is sad, it's bleak. It's often there's not a lot of hope in it. Um, but he's talking to the children of Israel. He's talking to God's people and how they've turned their back on him. And God is trying to paint a picture for them because <clears throat> I believe God in his love wants to draw them back into, into his relationship with him. Verse 11 says this, Has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils, the fountain of living waters, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, verse 11 kind of paints a picture for us of what the people have done. They have... They have, so you have the pagans who have their false gods, their man-made idols, these things that they, that they prop up in their lives, if you will. We do this too, I think, if, we're, if we look. We prop things up in our lives that we run to when we're in trouble. And how pagans are not faithful at all to their gods, or not very much so, in that when one God fails them, you just turn to the next God. And if that one fails you, then you turn to the next God. But he's, saying, he's telling them that even they are more faithful to their gods than you have been to me. Because we've, you've given up the glory that you experienced. Think about the presence, the beauty of what the children of Israel had experienced in their walk through the desert. What they experienced last week, Mike talked about the presence of God and how it came down on Mount Sinai. They saw the glory and the majesty of God. God provided for them in incredibly miraculous ways. They saw His glory. They experienced His glory. And yet they turned that in. They traded that in for something else that doesn't satisfy. And so he talks about these two evils that they have committed. You've left me. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And we'll come back to that at the end when we come back to Isaiah. And the second part of the sin that he's calling out in their lives is you have hewn out cisterns for yourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jamie, if you want to go to that next slide, this can kind of at least give you a picture of the hewn cisterns that they're talking about. This is a, obviously a big one. They can be all shapes. They can be all sizes. But this was a picture, something that they could definitely relate to. A cistern like this is a man-made reservoir that was designed to hold runoff water or to catch rainwater, and that water would sit in there. And they would, they would build these, they would shape these with their hands, they would dig these and create them so that they would know exactly where to go to to get water. And if they ever got into a pinch, they had water. But now, how many of you would like to drink out of there? No. I mean, could that sustain your life? Will that truly quench your thirst? 
Think about, think about it this way. Not only, first of all, let me say this yet. The cisterns that God said they're building, he said, are broken. So they're, they have all these cracks in them. The water that they try to hold runs out. And the, the little bit that's left is going to look something like this. Think about the, how foolish the picture is of turning from that first slide, that fresh stream of water. You saw that? looked like a mountain stream. If you've ever seen a mountain stream coming down out of the mountains, it's this crisp, cold, clear, perfectly clear, refreshing water. Imagine if those, those three ladies that were lost in, the, in Death Valley, they had come to a stream that looked something like that first slide that we had up here. And they thought, oh, wow, here's some fresh water. Good, that's great. But what if this thing runs dry? Or for whatever reason, and they go back because they found a pool that looked something like this, and they were like thinking, we can hold water in here, and this, when we get into trouble in a pinch, we've got water that's going to hold, it's going to sustain us. I mean, it's just like, duh. Why would you do that? Why would you leave a stream of, of fresh water that is perfectly nourishing and quenching? Why would you leave that and turn to go something like this to sustain your life? And yet God tells them, that His people, that that's exactly what they've done. The building of cisterns like this is a means to, by which we try to quench our deepest longings in our souls and we do that we do it out of thirst which is something that we all experience so are the children of Israel here are they the only ones who leave the streams of living water for cisterns is that something that we do in our lives if you're anything like me the answer is yes Sometimes we foolishly leave the streams of living water that God gives us and we try to create something that will satisfy ourselves. The first thing I think we need to recognize is that we have a thirst. I said we all, we all have a thirst. But sometimes I'm, I'm not sure that I'm aware when I, whatever I turn to reveals Something about what I'm thirsting. Um, so when I experience thirst, and often thirst is revealed in our lives, or it, it, it shows up when we hit difficult circumstances, we hit hard things, we get pain in our lives, we get stressed out, that can be an indicator or it, it reveals a thirst, I would say. But the question is, where do I turn to when I'm feeling that? When I get stressed out, like big time stressed out, probably the most overused term in America, I think, but when you feel that or when you're going through really hard things, what do you turn to? What do I turn to to try to quench that thirst? Is that stream of living water where I turn to? Or do I turn to things such as pleasure? Pleasure gives us an easier and a quicker fix than turning to the stream of living water does sometimes. Technology, sports, hunting, movies, you name it. I don't know what it is for you. I know where I fall into this. 
When I get stressed and I want to check out, I pull out my phone and I disappear. It's so easy to do. And I'm not saying like these things that I'm talking about here, they're not wrong in and of themselves. But if this is where I turn to to quench the deepest longings of my heart or to, to ease the pain that I'm experiencing or try to get out of the stress, then I'm digging a cistern. I'm trying to hewn out a cistern that will take care of me in the long run on my own strength. We turn to sensual things for fulfillment. We turn to sexual things. We turn to porn. We turn to addictions, things in our life that we turn to that simply mask something that deeper that's going on. I would suggest to us today that most of our addictions, and probably all of us have them in some form, things, something that we tend to turn to when we get stressed, those are revealing a revealing of something deeper that we're missing in our hearts. And so those things will never, never find it or never, never satisfy. Now, don't tell the gospel book, sorry I said this, but we also buy books on how to dig bigger, bigger, bigger cisterns, better cisterns. We buy books to how, to how to fill the cracks when our cistern begins to crack and break. Now, I'm all for books, so don't stop reading. Actually, read more. I'd tell myself to read more. But think about this. This is, this is numbers that I found probably five years ago already. This was from CBD, I believe. They sell over, there's over, over 30,000 books on marriage, how to do marriage. There's over 58,000 books on how to do church. And there's over 30,000 books on personal growth. All good stuff. Don't hear me, don't hear me saying don't read that. But too often, this is where I find myself. I think, man, if I just get this book that's going to get me to another place, to another new place, it'll help me, yeah, it'll help me grow But how often do I turn to something like that that is so good but is simply telling me how to dig or build a bigger cistern or a better cistern, one that's going to hold up a little bit longer? But perhaps the biggest way that we build our own cisterns is we become determined to make life work. Think about that, how that that impacts your own life. Maybe, maybe this, is, this is me. This is where I find myself. We build a cistern. Think, think, do you do this in your life? So if you build this cistern and a crack forms over here, what's the first thing you're going to do? We run over there and we try to patch the crack over here. But while I'm patching this crack over here, two more appear over on this side. And so I run over here and I try to patch those. And then three more pop up. And it's just this constant thing. But I am determined that I'm going to get this thing fixed, and so I just keep running in circles, patching, putting band-aids on the things that are, the, the pain in my life, the things that I'm trying to hide and mask, and I never, never find that fulfillment, and I will get myself absolutely worn down. We do that as individuals. We do it as parents. We just buckle down. We're going to do better. We do it in our marriages. We can even do it in church. We just, we determined we're going to make this thing work. So what's God's answer? What's our answer when we find ourselves running frantically from side to side in that cistern, trying to patch and fix all the cracks in our lives? I think God simply says, stop. Just stop. 
Stop, repent, and then respond. So if you're here this morning and you're tired, then God has an invitation for you. He has an invitation for all of us. Go back to Isaiah 51. Or I'm sorry, sorry, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Notice, if you look through those three verses that I read, there's five different times when God uses the word come. The great invitation is for those, look who the invitation is for. The very first phrase, he says, come, everyone who thirsts. I think we've established and we all agree that all of us are thirsty. Some of us refuse to recognize our thirst at times, but we're all thirsty, and the invitation is for everyone who is thirsty. He says, come. The thirst reveals a need, and so you need to admit that you have a need. That's what I need to do. I need to admit that I have a need. Are you needy? Are you broken? Are you without money, without price? Where can you buy without money and without price? This is such an incredible picture of salvation. Go back to Isaiah 53. It's the the picture of God, Jesus on the cross. And you can come and you can buy and eat everything and anything that you will ever need in your life absolutely free, without money, because the price has already been paid. I read something that John Piper wrote about this verse, or these three verses actually that I want to share with you. Some of, some of these thoughts come from what I read. The first invitation is for everyone who thirsts, and He invites us to come to the waters. The water, but not only does He invite us to come to the water, look what else He invites us to. He comes, invites us to come buy and eat. He comes, invites us to come buy wine and milk. And then in the last, He says, come to me. Come to the water. God is simply offering us the refreshment that our hearts and our bodies so desperately desire. When we're exhausted and we're dehydrated, He pulls us out of our Death Valley moment of life and He refreshes us with the streams of living water. Can you go back to that very first slide, Jamie? And He gives us a new beginning. But not only does He give us a new beginning, He refreshes us and meets our immediate need when we're, we're dying of thirst. But he says, come and get milk. There's three liquids that he offers us here. And I think this is interesting. <clears throat> because the God comes and he quenches our thirst, but he not only does he quench our thirst, he gives us something even more. He comes, says, come buy milk. It's definitely not what you need when you're parched. At least not for me. I sure don't want a glass of milk. But the milk is a symbolic of nourishment, providing nourishment for your body. You give a baby milk over and over and over again, and it grows. It gets strength. It gets stronger, and it grows. The milk that God gives us is for our stature and our strength to grow. So God isn't there only in our times of desperate need of Him with that refreshing water, but He's also there as we go through our lives, our daily lives, and our need for nourishment. And He provides that so that we grow strong and stable in our faith. And then He says, come and buy wine. The wine, I think, is a symbolic of exhilaration and joy. Something to celebrate. So God, I love how, I love how God 
refreshes us, He nourishes us, and He gives us something of exhilaration. We all need and desire the refreshment that that water brings. We want to be strong and stable. We don't want to be weak in our faith, and that milk provides that. We don't want to be malnourished, but we need more. When we get together, we can tend, like when we get together here, we kind of tend to hide our emotions. We get pretty stoic. Um, We don't really show a whole lot of what we're feeling sometimes. Listen to what John Piper said. Because we were created for joy. We were created to let loose sometimes and just live in joy. John Piper says this, There is a child inside every one of us that God made for exhilaration, for shouting and singing and dancing and playing and skipping and running and jumping and laughing. Our kids do that well. They outshine us in this. But God has that. There's something in us when God provides for us that wine of joy and gladness. He offers us something that just flows out of it. It, it, There's something that comes, begins to pour out of us. There's a joy that comes out of us. So in short, to close here, what God offers us as weary, tired, worn-out cistern builders is endless refreshment, nourishment for growth and strength, and endless exhilaration and joy. And there's one more that I want to look at. Jamie, you want to go to the very last slide, please. The last invitation that God comes, comes to, He offers us, is found in verse 3. He said, incline your ear and come to me. I think the invitation from God here is, come to me, let me enjoy you. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you simply let God, allow God to enjoy you, and you enjoy God just being together? There's something life-giving that flows out of us when we find ourselves there. So what are you spending your energy on this morning? What am I spending my energy on this morning? Building your own cistern will never satisfy your thirst. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you feeling tired. So you have to think. Think think through your own life. Ask God to show you the ways that you are trying to to find or to quench the thirst, the deepest longing of your heart and let go of that. Because when, you, when we try to build our own cisterns and we find ourselves tired out, we find not only do we remain in thirst, we will get worn out, we also have nothing that we can give to others. We have nothing that we can offer to other people, do we? So the invitation is to come and quench your thirst at the fountains of living water. So when we respond to that, we find our souls satisfied and filled to overflowing. And I want to close simply with this verse. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a very good slide up there. But John 37, 7, 37, Jesus said this way, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want to be that kind of believer. And I know we've all come across believers that just, they ooze something out of them. Those rivers of living water flow out of us, but they will never flow from my life as long as I try to quench my own thirst with my own cistern. Only as I come to the fountain of living water. So there's the invitation for each of us this morning. Let that river of water flow out of your life today.
Would you stand with me, please? Um, we'll close in prayer.